3: You to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, "I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore." We must not allow ourselves to be
4: intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war.
2: This is your Matt Prophet of the Airwaves, and welcome to Radio Free Canada. News notes and opinions from the underground for Monday, October the 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2022. therichardseratshow.com, Show.com. Check it out. You can t- contact me through the website. You can listen to the podcast for this radio show through the website, therichardseratshow.com. Last year on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation... Our crime minister went surfing into Fino, British Columbia. That's Canada's most exotic vacation location, known for its Caribbean-like beaches. While the rest of us Canadians were told to dutifully mire in collective guilt over the supposed discovery of mass graves of indigenous children, of course, that whole narrative appears to be complete fabrication. But no matter... Trudeau canceled Canada Day, excused the firebombing and desecration of Christian churches by left-wing domestic terrorists, and then went surfing. One year later, Trudeau, who promised that he would do better, and then muttered sheepish, sheepishly about that being a learning experience for him, one year later, while Atlantic Canada Is trying to restore power, rebuild, after the devastation brought by Hurricane Fiona? Socks. Socks. Thinks it's a great time to clock out and wait for it. Go bungee jumping. You heard me correctly. Bungee jumping. I'm reading from an article by Mike Campbell from The Counter Signal at thecountersignal.com. Trudeau came this morning with his son Xavier and daughter Ella Grace. And then it says props to them on some fantastic jumps and even some water dips. This is a post from the Great Canadian Bungee Company posted on Facebook. The Great Canadian Bungee Company. They're located out of Quebec City. The adventure costs one hundred and seventy three dollars ninety five cents with HD video. According to the Great Canadian Bungee's website, meanwhile, East Coast provinces are still in the early stages of rebuilding and relocating. After the devastating hurricane Fiona, over twenty thousand Nova Scotians are still without power. Again this is from Mike Campbell writing in the counter signal. On Saturday, Leah McDonald of Nova Scotia's Power Emergency Operations Center said, quote, given the extent of the damage crews still face, we expect customers, particularly those in the Northeast region and some in Cape Britain, will see their estimated restoration times change as of Sunday, yesterday. Over 20,000 Prince Edward Islanders are also without power. The Trudeau bungee excursion, is part of a greater pattern of the Prime Minister taking personal days while the country is in turmoil. Again, that's Mike Campbell writing at the Counter Signal, thecountersignal.com. So another Marie Antoinette moment from our completely tone deaf Prime Minister. This character, he has no character. He has no concept of duty, responsibility, humility. I mean, I wouldn't trust him to operate the deep fryer at a McDonald's. I wouldn't vote for him if he were running for dog catcher. Incidentally, is that still a thing? Was it ever a thing? Dog catcher. Was that that ever like an elected position? I'm running for dog catcher, and if I'm elected, I promise to get all the strays off the street. No more catch and release. And, of course, the left would be in favor of defunding talk catchers. Anyway, Sox is at it again. Authorities in Scotland have asked for excess deaths, the excess death figures, to be examined. It appears as if the effects of the COVID-19 lockdowns may be killing more people than COVID-19. They may also want to look into the vaccine itself. Again, this is all slowly coming to a boil. Figures from excess deaths from the Office for National Statistics in Scotland show around 1,000 more people than usual are dying each week from conditions other than the virus. Reports said the Department of Health and Social Care uh, had asked for the data to be checked with a department spokeswoman saying circulatory diseases and diabetes may be partly responsible for the majority of excess deaths. Again, IMO, you might want to look into those vaccines as a possible cause of excess deaths. More vindication for this program. This one is... This particular uh, radio program, one of the few radio programs in the entire country that pushes back against the cult of climate change. And even before I launched this program in March of 2021, I spent the previous 20 years at other radio stations talking about the climate change hoax. And believe me, back then it was far less popular in the early 2000s than it is today and it's not popular now by any stretch but here we go more evidence anthropogenic climate change which means man-made climate change is a complete and utter hoax from the daily mail in the uk headline world's top climate scientists told to quote cover up the fact that the earth's temperature hasn't risen for the last 15 years scientists working on the most authoritative study on climate change were urged to cover up the fact that the world's temperature hasn't risen for the last 15 years, as it is claimed. A leaked copy of the United Nations report compiled by hundreds of scientists show politicians in Belgium and Germany and the U.S. raised concerns about the final draft. Leaked documents seen by the Associated Press reveal deep concerns among politicians about a lack of global warming over the last few years. Germany called for the references to the slowdown in warming to be deleted. You see how this works? Saying looking at the time span of just ten or fifteen years was misleading. The UN's intergovernmental panel on climate change has changed its tune after issuing stern warnings about climate change for years. Belgium objected to using 1998 as a starting year for, it, for statistics, as it was especially or exceptionally warm and makes the graphic look fat, flat, or rather flat, and suggested using 1999 or 2000 instead to give a more upward-pointing curve. That's always important. Notice where they choose to start measuring the uh, the data on the graph. The UN Secretary for Global Communications recently said that quote They own the science. They own the science. Let's listen to this. You know, we partnered with Google, for
5: example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We. Started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science, and we think that the world you know should know it, and and the platforms themselves also do. Um, but again, it's it's it is um, it's it's a huge huge challenge that I think. All sectors of society need to be very
2: active in. You own the science. Is that right? You own the science. Nobody owns science. And then you have the temerity to suggest that the data that was showing up on different search engines was distorted. In other words, because it wasn't coming from you and you own the science. Therefore, anything that isn't coming from you must ergo be distorted. How scientific. How scientific. All right, we have a, uh, a great show for you today. But honestly, when do we not have a fantastic program? Uh, China is preparing to go to war. I guess that's hardly a news flash. But uh, they do seem to be ramping things up. China expert Gordon Chang will be here. Last order of business in hour two to discuss... The man who started the hashtag Trudeau Must Go. When did that start? A month ago? Maybe a little bit more? Martin Belanger will be here also in hour two in our feature interview slot. Cards on the table. I tried to get Martin Belanger on a couple of weeks ago just after this Trudeau Must Go thing started really taking off. But um, he went moose hunting or something. He went up north to go hunting, so we had to wait for him to get back. But he is here. And we will talk about the uh, hashtag Trudeau must go, how it started, how the mainstream media tried to downplay it, claim all of the, uh, the people that were liking it and retweeting it were simply bots. Stefan Verstappen, our emergency preparedness expert, will be here this hour on disaster preparedness for your pet. But first, it was never about the science. The vaccine mandates, the travel mandates, the masks, none of it. It was all about politics. We knew it. The government knew it. We knew the government knew it. The government knew we knew they knew it. We knew the government knew we knew they knew it. But they did it anyway. But it's all coming out, folks. All coming out. Tom Korski, managing editor of Blacklock's Reporter, is next. The Richard Serrett show off and running for Monday, October 3rd. Facta
4: non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM.
2: So when the rest of the world had gone back to normal. Months and months before we did, no more masks, no more travel restrictions. Here in Canada are Prime Minister was saying, well, we're following the science. We've done our homework. We've got Canadians back. We're keeping them safe. None of that was true. None of it. Well, we knew that. We knew they knew it. They knew we knew. They knew that we knew it. Didn't matter. Now, it seems the, uh, the proof has uh, come out. Truth always comes out, and it, it has once again. This time, we're hearing that uh, the... Mandates were lifted within weeks of being warned, Canadians uh, or the government being warned in a pollster's report the measures were unpopular and divisive. Then the government decided to lift the mandates. Tom Korski, managing editor at Blacklock's Reporter, joins us. Hey, Tom, how are you?
6: I'm well. Thank you, Richard. So, um, when did this uh, report get released, this poll? Yeah, the striking—the uh, timing is really striking, isn't it? They conducted focus groups. This is very expensive research, commissioned confidentially by the Privy Council Office. That's the top of the federal uh, bureaucracy. They get their report May 16th, and their focus group pollster tells them, get out, get out, get out. These mandates are unpopular. Even the masks, people think they're pointless. Vaccines, unbelievably unpopular and divisive. May 16th, they get that report. By June 14th, they've announced there they will begin repealing the mask and vaccine mandates. It happened that fast.
2: So this poll conducted by the Privy Council Office's research firm goes out. The results come back. It shows that the all of these mandates are unpopular. Within weeks, they're lifted, uh, and yet the. Trudeau government is insisting that they they were following the science, that they were doing their homework. And that's the reason that they lifted the mandates when they did. And, of course, that's all proven to be a lie.
6: Absolutely. Raw data. And, you know, Richard, I've never been a champion of the public health agency. They have a lot to answer for in terms of pandemic mismanagement. To their credit, they never endorsed mask mandates or vaccine mandates. Not once. Did the federal public health agency say there is a scientific reason to justify forcing a truck driver to be vaccinated while he or she sits 10 hours in the cab of a truck? Or if you are working remotely by a laptop from your home that you must be vaccinated and yet vaccine mandates targeted both those people, it was never about the science.
2: So what did some of the respondents or what was some of the data that came from this uh, poll conducted by the Strategic Council?
6: What was really interesting, and this is under a $2, uh, $2.4 million contract, this is top price polling that taxpayers paid for. What was interesting was on the vaccine mandates. That was most interesting to me, Richard. I'm reading from their report, and these are the only polls we read because these are the only polls that Cabinet reads. And the report from the pollster said this, it said mandates, I'm quoting now, represented overreach on the part of the federal government and unfairly infringed upon those who made the personal choice not to get vaccinated. They went on to say, as a result of this, some felt they'd lost their sense of trust in the federal government. Well, (laughs) that was it. They couldn't repeal those fast enough.
2: Wow. Uh, do we have any numbers like what what percentage of participants in this poll indicated that they 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 thought the vaccine mandates were harmful? For example,
6: we don't because they don't do straight as they would uh, like straight questionnaires in a telephone survey. These are focus groups. They want people to talk about their feelings. That's why it's such expensive polling two point four million over the course of a year. That's big money by Canadian standards. So in these reports, they call it qualitative polling. That is, you get a bunch of focus groups right across the country, right across Canada, and people will get together and they're going to spend a few hours talking about their feelings as researchers guide them along through these topics. And how did they talk about their feelings when it came to the mandates?
2: So now that this this report has come out, which is really embarrassing, I would think, I would hope, for the government, have they responded? Uh, have they acknowledged that this this poll, the timing of the poll, looks kind of bad on them?
6: Uh, They have not. But really, they don't have to translate for us, do they, Richard? Because the timing speaks for itself. Same thing on Freedom Convoy. They pulled the Dickens out of the Freedom Convoy within days of their suspension of the Emergencies Act against those truck drivers and protesters. They also found that was divisive. It was sharply divisive. There were a lot of Canadians, honest, law-abiding, tax-paying, hard-working citizens who said, I don't like what they did to those truck drivers. I don't even want to talk about whether I sympathize with the truckers or not. That bank account freeze, that ricocheted like no one's business, Richard. That was wildly unpopular. What's my point in this? Never believe that science stuff. As you, you exactly said, Richard, doesn't matter how thin they slice it. It's still baloney. It's all about a beauty contest. It's about getting elected. Never forget it.
2: Tom Korski, managing editor at Black Locks Reporter. Tom, thank you as always. Great job.
6: Thank you, Richard.
2: All right, back with uh, more of the Richard
4: Sarah Show. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on News Talk Saga, 960 AM. It's the Richard Sarah Show. News not in the news. Not in the news. Not in the news. Not in the-
2: all right, welcome back. Uh, just a heads up, coming up a little bit later, well, in hour two, in fact, uh, Martin Belanger, you probably know him on Twitter as uh, Marty Up North's fact-checking twin brother. He's the uh, fellow from Alberta. He's a Franco-Albertan, married, four kids, adventure, environmentalist, libertarian, progressive. He says, I block idiots. <laughs> Marty Up North's fact-checking twin brother. He's the one that started the uh, hashtag Trudeau must go. So we'll talk to him about that. Gordon Chang towards the bottom of the uh, second hour as well on China preparing to go to war. I just wanted to follow up on some things Tom Korsky and I were talking about from Blacklock's reporter about this study that was commissioned by the Privy Council office, by this research firm, the Strategic Council. And again, the, the report, they, they did a focus group, a bunch of Canadians across the country asking them how they feel about vaccine mandates, mask mandates. That report comes back May 16th.
1: is running out this message is paid for by alliance for fair and equitable policy and uh, all the
2: participants all participants were of the view vaccine requirements had been largely harmful believing they'd been divisive ineffective unfairly targeted those who had made the personal decision to not get vaccinated that was unanimous with this focus group all participants it said and then most uh most people also felt that the mask mandates were useless useless so that report comes back to cabinet may 16th a few weeks later they drop all the mandates based on this poll folks not based on any science even though they said oh it's we're following the science no you weren't you were following the polls all of us suspected it now we know it now we know it And then there was another poll. Internal federal polling showed that Canadians resented the police treatment of the Freedom Convoy. Even opponents of the protest said freezing bank accounts would never have been necessary if Cabinet had done their job. This is uh, Blacklock's reporter reporting this. Participants were generally dissatisfied with the response of the Government of Canada, said a Privy Council Office report... It's called Continuous Qualitative Data Collection of Canadian Views. Even a Canadians opposed to the convoy thought use of the Emergency Act was unnecessary. Among those who were more supportive of the protests, it was felt use of the act represented significant overreach by the federal government. Across all groups, a, r- a roughly similar number of individuals spoke negatively about the protests as those who expressed support, with several others more uncertain. The report said supporters expressed feeling encouraged and uplifted by what they felt to be a primarily grassroots movement of people coming together from across Canada to protest what they felt to be unfair and unnecessary public health requirements. Among those in favor of the protests, it was generally thought the gatherings had been mostly peaceful and that protesters had been unfairly treated by law enforcement and public officials. In addition, several participants believed coverage of of these protests in media had been almost entirely one-sided and portrayed the demonstrations in disproportionately negative light. The findings were drawn from March focus groups nationwide. The Privy Council commissioned the survey as one in a series of reports under a $2.4 million annual contract with the Strategic Council. This is how we are governed. This is important. This is a, a very important insight and great reporting from Blacklock's reporter. These internal polls, these focus groups nationwide that the federal government pays millions of dollars for, of our, of our money, its taxpayer money. This is how they govern based on the results of these po- focus groups. It was never about the science. And now we know for certain. Uh, We're going to try and next uh, or tomorrow, actually, we're going to try and get Elie Canten-Nantel on from uh, True North to talk about this story. You may have heard this. A global management and consulting firm with ties to Pfizer played a key role in Quebec's COVID response. This is according to a report by CBC's uh, French language arm, Radio Canada. Documents obtained by Radio Canada show that McKinsey and Company, McKinsey and Company, a firm with 30,000 consultants across 35 countries contributed to several major pandemic decisions taken by Francois Legault's government. But now we're hearing that, that, that McKinsey may also have helped shape Ontario's COVID response. A multinational company with ties to Pfizer telling our government, how to respond to, the, to uh, COVID. Do you see a, a possible conflict of interest there? These included decisions around communication strategies, equipment purchases, masks, PCR testing, and long-term care. The firm also helped the province with its reopening plan and economic relaunch, relaunch strategy, as well as Quebec's vaccination campaign. The story was published just days before Quebec's provincial election, which is happening today. There you go. All right, when we come back, Stefan Verstappen, our uh, emergency preparedness expert, will tell you a little bit about disaster preparedness for your pets. Stay with us.
4: You're listening to The Richard Serre Show on Newstock Saga, 9:60 a.m.
0: The survival. The
2: Richard Sarah Show. All right. We're helping you get prepared for when the lights go out. Stefan Verstappen is our emergency preparedness expert, the author of The Art of Urban Survival Websites, Chinastrategies.com, Forming Hey, Stefan, how are
3: you, buddy? How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Richard. You? Very well, very well. Good weekend. Yeah, it was good. I went to the candidates debate because I volunteered to be the campaign manager for one of our community's uh, members who is running for town council. Ah, good, good. It's important to get uh, involved at the local level, to be sure. Absolutely. And there's uh, three other women that are involved and they're getting involved in the School 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 trustees. Exactly. So they're running for school trustees because... They're tired of having, um, I don't know, are we allowed to say this? They don't want drag time story hour. Sure. No, we can say that. Absolutely. A lot of people feel that way. A lot of people. now They don't they- want it, and they were, they've been trying to jam it into the schools here. And, um, well, they, these are Christian women, you know, and uh, a lot of uh, Amish and Mennonites are pretty Christian. They don't want that stuff, so they're running for uh, school trustee. All right, good, well, we encourage everybody to get involved at the local level. If you want change, that's where it has
2: to happen. All right, so um, obviously we we've seen the uh, the devastation uh, down in Florida and South Carolina and parts of Georgia with uh, hurricane Ian and and then before that we had Hurricane Fiona, which you know they're just now getting trying to get up off the floor in the Atlantic uh, provinces. There's still, I don't know something like fifty thousand people without power. Uh, In Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, it's just been devastating. So uh, I know you wanted to talk about disaster preparedness for
3: your pets. Yeah, because, well, listen, we've already discussed a number of ways to prepare for disaster. And as we can see, so hopefully that's coming in handy, that knowledge. Uh, So we've talked about bug out bags and evacuation kits. But um, another really important part and something that's close to my heart is the pets, what are you gonna do with the cats and the dogs if you have to evacuate? And did you plan on that?
2: And right. right because because if you're thinking of okay, so you're gonna you're gonna bug out, you're gonna go to some other location that's out of the the path of the storm. Where you're going? Do they allow
3: pets? Well, that's the number one concern, of course, Richard, because you know we we talked about bug out locations as being preferably somebody that's a friend or a family member that lives outside of town that'll put you up for a few, few days, maybe even a few weeks. Um, and hopefully they're pet friendly that they don't mind if you bring the cats and the dogs with you. But the other possibility of a bug out location is, you know, a favorite hotel you stayed in and um, you know, that's outside of town. Better check now whether or not they will take pets. I've, you know, me, I've been tra- traveling around with my cats now for 10 years and uh, yeah, it's about uh, 80% of the places won't take
2: pets. So what do you do? Do you, do you develop some sort of a buddy system uh, so that maybe, you know, you're going to drop the, the pets off at somebody else's house? Again, obviously outside, out of the uh, path of the storm, not a hotel, not a, an Airbnb, just someone you, uh, a friend or a
3: family member that you know will accept your pets. Well, absolutely. That's certainly one possibility. Um, that's a good solution. If you can find somebody that will take in your, your animals and uh, and then you can go stay at the hotel, uh, that would be a good solution. The other thing, too, is um, check ahead of time. Like now now that we've got Internet and telephone and all that and you're, you're making your bug out plans. Remember, we have all these plans. Um, evacuation plan, a rendezvous location, a bug out location. How are you going to get there and how are you going to fuel your car? Um, so you would want to check out, uh, if any of the hotels, just call them up now. Uh, do you accept pets? Now, if they do accept pets, they're going to charge you extra money. They, they, they were char- wanted to charge me an extra 50 bucks a day for my cats at the last place I stayed at, I said, okay, no thanks. Um, so check it out now in your plan of how you're going to go, where you're going to go, what are the hotels and motels along the way that you might have to stop at, Phone them now and ask them about their, or you can find out online. They usually, uh, I I remember that uh, I was looking online, and they usually will have a section on their website that says whether or not they're pet friendly. And then note down the address so that when you are on the road and you're going, let's pull over now, we've gone far enough, uh, let's spend the night somewhere, then you know where is the closest hotel or motel where you can bring your pets with you. All right. I want to ask you this, uh, because,
2: you know, on this program, we're very concerned about, I'm sure you are as well, about, you know, surveillance and digital identification and and so forth. But in this case, because we're talking about pets, how do you feel about getting them microchipped?
3: I'm I'm okay with it. You know, uh, the microchip is supposed to be a very good idea for a number of reasons. One, if for some God awful reason you had to leave your pet behind. And this would be like for me, it would it would be a life or death situation, whether I left the, left my cats behind. And as a matter of fact, it just came out now with uh, Hurricane Fiona there that 24 percent of the people refused to evacuate because they couldn't take their pets with them. Wow. Yeah. No, right. we'll, I, we'll take a
2: quick time out, uh, um, Stefan. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, getting your pet microchipped and also uh, Disaster plans for your pets. Stefan Verstappen, the author of The Art of Urban Survival. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in two minutes.
4: Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM.
2: Disaster preparedness for your pets on... uh, this week's edition of the Survivalist, part of the Richard Serrett Show, here on Saga Nine Sixty. Stefan Verstappen is our emergency preparedness expert and the author of the Art of Urban Survival. Okay, so I was asking about, you know, in in any case, but especially in the case of uh, disaster, um, you're saying that microchipping your pet good exa- is
3: is a good idea. Well, just in case you get separated, because it's one of the primary ways that they identify lost or missing pets. The other thing you should do anyways, even if you don't microchip, and again, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be reading it from satellite, but who knows? Who knows what you're going to do? But um, the other thing you can do, though, is make sure that they have a name tag on their collar. Okay, so get a name tag with the dog's or cat's name, the pet's name. And uh, the address, your address and phone number where they can contact you and also take a picture of yourself with your pet. This is to prove that the pet is yours. Again, just in case you get separated. A lot of people have had to leave their pets behind and then those pets, uh, you know, get loose. They run in the streets. They're picked up. They're brought to the local animal Shelter, and that's where you would have to go to try and find your lost dog or lost cat. But then again, you have to provide some sort of proof that that is your dog or your cat, especially when it comes to some of those expensive little dog breeds, those shiatsus or whatever. They're like five grand or something like that. If somebody sees them running down the road, they'll get stolen. So they, they will ask you for proof that that is your pet. So a photograph of yourself, but better yet, have a tag on the dog uh, or cat with your name, the dog's name, and address, right? Well, if it is stolen, of course
2: that's easily removed. But again, if you have that picture or a if, view if, you with your uh, your French bulldog Maurice, there is no disputing that. That plus perhaps the microchip. What about a? Um, we talked about bug out bags for humans when you're, uh you know when disa- disaster strikes. But what about building a, a kit for your pet? What goes in that?
3: So we're gonna ha- we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna build a bug out bag for the for the pets. Here's the here's the, the question. Are we going to be able to bug out using a vehicle or are we going to you know have to walk out? And this is one thing that we need to do anyways, especially if you have kids and if you have pets, you need to keep an eye on events. OK, especially something like a hurricane when it's coming. Now, if we know a hurricane is going to hit here in Toronto on. Thursday. Do we wait to Thursday to evacuate or should we go now? Because if we go now, there's probably a good chance that we can get in the car. It's not going to be a huge traffic jam to get out of the city. The gas stations will probably still be open so we can fill it up, and, and it'll be powered you know, to run the gas pumps. So you might want to evacuate sooner than later if you have pets and children because they're going to slow you down. And if it gets to the point then where you have to walk out, then, yeah, you need a bug out kit for your pets. Uh, for the smaller animals, for me with the cats, I had to get a carrier. So I already planned my bug out when I was living there in Etobicoke. I had three cats. How am I going to bug out with three cats and one guy? You know, I can't carry them all under one arm. But I figured out that the bicycle trailer, which was designed for kids, and it zips up, and there's a you know a plastic window and and a, and a, and a mosquito net, and it keeps the cats in the in the trailer, and I could easily pull the trailer behind my bicycle, and therefore I can evacuate my cats on foot. I practiced with them a couple of times. There's a video on my YouTube channel showing the cats in the back of the trailer uh, being bicycled around Toronto. Um, And if you plan on doing that, it's a good idea to take them out once or twice in the carrier You know twice a year so that they get used to it so it's not a completely scary thing when it really does happen so you're going to get a carrier and then you also now if you have a big dog you can get a saddle bags for the dog these are great things if you're a serious prepper and uh, you think you're going to be able to walk out then get one of those saddle bag harnesses for the dog this is what rescue dogs use it's got a big handle on the back So you can pick the dog up and lift them up over obstacles and things like that. And the dog can carry his own bug out equipment. Now, your bug out equipment is going to be a month's worth of food. If it's dry food, vacuum seal it. We've been over that with the Mylar bags. So get the kibble or or the dry food, put them in a vacuum bag, a month's worth of food for him uh, or for each of your pets. And also, you're going to want water for the pets. Now, they can drink water out of puddles and things like that that you and I can't do. But still better that they have some fresh water. So for the animals, I would say a liter a day. We're going on a gallon a day for a human, figure a quarter of the weight. So it's a liter a day for, for the uh, for the pets. Also, uh, get some uh, of that um, tick and flea treatment for the animals, just in case they come down with that. And, and you're, you know, you're carrying them around and everywhere you go, they've just got fleas. Uh, so bring some of that tick and flea medicine, a small first aid kit. Now you don't need anything extra than you have in a normal first aid kit, just in case the dogs get injured or the cats get injured and you can bandage them up some some pads and some gauze bandage, some antibiotic cream, but that you should have all that in your first aid kit already. Also make sure that all the animals have a leash or a harness So that uh, you can keep control of them, I put that in the bug out bag for the pets. So your pet bug out bag should really not be. Oh, and also you're going to need bowls, uh, um, non uh, spill uh, water and food bowls for. And if you have cats, you have to get a small uh, kitty litter box that would fit into a uh, a carrier. What about chlorine bleach and and things like that? Just you know, clean up. Well, you're going to have some of that in your uh, first aid kit. You should have uh, alcohol, rubbing alcohol anyways. And so that'll do the job, same job as chlorine bleach would. Um, But yeah, good idea. You can bring a a little bit of extra bleach. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, You mentioned litter. Uh, Grooming items, I guess. Some familiar toys. Exactly. Familiar toys, brushes, their favorite chew toy. For the cats, I always bring them a little bit of... uh, a catnip so we can both smoke up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. uh, okay. And their well, favorite blankie. Their favorite, favorite blankie. blankie. Yes. You and me, uh, and for you as well. Uh, Stefan Verstappen, our emergency preparedness expert, the author of The Art of Urban Survival, Chinastrategies.com, Forming Communities.com. You mentioned the YouTube channel, Stefan. What is it? It's Stefan Verstappen.
1: is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
3: Uh, it's uh, not a very catchy name. Uh, Stefan <laughs> S-T-E-F-A-N,
2: S-T-E-F-A-N, Stephen. Yes. and then Verstappen, V as in Victor, Victory, V as in Victory, E-R-S-T-A-P-P-E-N, V-E-R-S-T-A-P-P-E-N, and uh, we'll talk again next week, my friend. Thank you, Richard. You have a good week. You too. All right. Hour two awaits. We'll check in with uh, Marty Up North's fact-checking twin brother. <laughs> That's quite a handle. Um, we can just call him Martin Belanger. He's the uh, individual who started the whole hashtag Trudeau must go that went viral a couple of weeks ago. He'll tell us how that happened. And uh, also Gordon Chang, who's a expert on all things China, will be here. He's written a number of important books on uh, on the subject, the great U.S.-China tech war, losing South Korea. Uh, and he'll uh, talk to us about why and how China is preparing to go to war. Hour two of The Richard saracho Show, coming your way right after the news. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
3: Seeking truth and justice in
2: a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett
4: Show.
3: I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated.
2: I ask you not only to win the battle, but to win the war.
4: We're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes, if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's
2: carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order. You're
4: out of order. The whole trial is out of order. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, and you.
2: Welcome to Hour 2 of the Richard Sarratt Show, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot. But don't despair, still plenty of great programming coming your way. Gordon G. Chang will be here. He's the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and Losing South Korea. And uh, he says he is adamant that China is preparing to go to war. Making the case China is preparing for armed conflict and that that could happen quite soon. He wrote a piece for a website called 1945.com. And he said that, uh, now the piece was uh, published in mid August. And he said the previous month, so July this year, a Chinese entrepreneur making medical equipment for consumers told him that local officials there had demanded he convert his production lines in China so that they could turn out items for the military. Communist Party cadres, uh, Chang was told, were issuing similar orders to other manufacturers. Moreover, Chinese academics privately say the ongoing expulsion of foreign colleagues from China's universities appears to be a preparation for hostilities. The uh, People's Republic of China is preparing to go to war. It's not trying to hide its efforts. Amendments to the national defense law effective the first day of last year, transfer powers from civilian To military officials in general, the amendments reduce the role of the central government state council by shifting power to the Communist Party's Central Military Commission. Specifically, the state council will no longer supervise the mobilization of the People's Liberation Army. So we'll get Gordon G. Chang in here. Uh, Last order of business to talk about China preparing for war. All right. I guess about the the middle of uh, last month. The, uh, the whole hashtag Trudeau must go phenomenon began, and uh, it began with um, Marty Up North's fact-checking twin brother. I love this Twitter handle. Classic. Uh, but now we know him as uh, Martin Belanger, an engineer in Calgary. He's a Franco Burton, 12th generation, no less. Married, four kids, adventurer, just reading his Twitter bio here, environmentalist, libertarian, progressive, and I block idiots. Amen to that. Well, uh, Martin Belanger, welcome to the program. How are you? Richard, good to be
5: here. Uh, I'm well, thank you. How was the hunting trip? Unsuccessful, unfortunately. Um, weather's just too hot right now, and the, the rut hasn't started. So we we had a week of... Gorgeous weather, which is not ideal for hunting. In hunting, you want rain, cold, something to trigger the animals. So unsuccessful. Ah, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, just a little inside baseball there. I'd, I'd hope to get Martin
2: on a little earlier, but he had this big hunting trip planned in uh, northern Alberta. I guess right. Correct. I was
5: up by Grand cash which which plays into uh, you know it, it plays into this whole um, Trudeau must go moment. I mean, there were people. You know, we'll we'll get into the details, but I remember people saying. That I was, uh, the leader of a movement and I would say, well, why would I? why would the leader of a movement try to start a movement a week before going on a week long hunting trip? So, you know, some right. leader I am because I took off and disappeared <laughs> in communicado for the last 10 days. So, yeah. So the, uh, the hashtag Trudeau must go, uh, that I guess began out of
2: your personal frustration, which is shared obviously by millions of Canadians, but what was the tipping point for you when you said, that's it, I've had enough. I'm going to social media with this.
5: Um, it, the the tipping point was a typical Tuesday morning for me. You know, so I, I'm I'm semi-retired. I work from home, and I spend a lot of my morning just uh, engaging with people on Twitter. And I engaged with somebody on Twitter, and we were talking about you know some of Trudeau's divisive tactics and so forth. And and through the engagement, the the topic of a vi- of a of an interview that Trudeau had done in Quebec. You know, almost a year ago during the the election campaign, came up, and and to paraphrase that um, that interview, you know, he was on a talk show, and Trudeau basically said that the way out of the pandemic was through vaccination, uh, but then then he went on to say that there were some people that were still fiercely opposed to vaccination the host interjected and said, you know, they're often um, radicals. And then Trudeau continued by saying um, they're anti-science. They're often misogynistic and often racist, but, but, but he said it in French. And, um, and I remember that, that interview, but I was using that interview in a debate with somebody, and I was, and I was, uh, and I realized that that interview was in French, so I translated it in English. And when you translate something in English or in any language, and you put thought to paper, you have more time to reflect on it. And so while I was doing that, and I was reflecting on it, I went, you know, and then full disclosure: I'm I'm one of those people he was addressing. I'm unvaccinated for my own personal reasons. I don't need to to justify my reasons to anyone, but I just thought what a brutal, what a, what an insensitive thing to say. You know, he was being um, stereotypical and he was being uh, divisive. And so I, I, it it just triggered me. I thought, you know, he, he's addressing me, but, but I'm none of the things that he's saying. So, um, so I just took, so I, you know, I finished my, my Twitter engagement that morning. And then I, the next thing I did was just type in that, that comment, which was basically, you know, I, I chose a picture of myself, and I addressed it to Mr. Trudeau, basically saying, you know, this is who I am, and, and according to you, I'm um, somebody who needs to be dealt with. May I and- read? It? Like, may I read the post? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So as I'm a 55 year old
2: Canadian, I'm married, father to four, university educated and perfectly bilingual. I'm an engineer solving problems for 35 years. I'm a volunteer hockey coach and an avid outdoorsman. According to Trudeau, I'm an extremist who needs to be dealt with. Hashtag Trudeau must go. So this is where it all began.
5: It's where it all began. And and I don't I absolutely do not claim originality to the concept. You know, the idea of just putting a picture of yourself out there in, as a rebuttal is, is not original and neither is the hashtag, but, but the hashtag is important because, you know, um, people who are familiar with my Twitter um, account know that I seldom use hashtags. And more often than not, I need, I need space to use uh, citations because I'm citing data or something else. And so the idea, you know, at the moment, I was I was literally thinking I needed to address it to Trudeau so I was looking for a hashtag so I'm like Trudeau And then, you know, it it auto finishes itself. So the hashtag is not new. It had existed, but I typed in Trudeau must go. And then I hit send and away I went. And quite honestly, I went about my day after that. You know, I live out in the country and I think I went outside and mowed my lawn and did a variety of things like I typically do. And so and some people, you know, thousands of people were liking it and thousands
2: of people were retweeting it. But then people started doing their own version of basically using sort of your initial post as a as a template. And they told their own story, you know, I'm this, this is what I believe in. This is what I do. And according to Trudeau, you know, I'm an extremist and I need to be dealt with hashtag Trudeau must go.
5: It, 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 that's exactly what happened. I mean, when I came back from, you know, at lunchtime kind of thing, yes, I, a thousand likes, let's say, and which, which for an account like mine at the time with 8,000 followers is already unusual. I have a thousand likes uh, then I see retweets and and, as you mentioned, it's not just retweets. it's people making it their own and and adding their own um, personal biographies. but But then there was another really fascinating thing, which is you know we all have to admit when we're on when we're on social media, we are in little echo chambers. And so I started seeing the retweets of people that I was familiar with. But, but what was remarkable is now I started seeing retweets of people who would not normally be followers of Marty up north and, 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 and people that I would, nor, would not normally engage with. So, it, so but the, the whole trend busted out the echo chamber. And it was fascinating for me that, you know, that first day to see how it caught on. Right. And uh, it, how high did it go before? Like Twitter basically clamped down on that hashtag, Right. Oh God! It, it was being it was being monitored by different groups, and it, it went as high as five hundred thousand retweets. So, and and you know, and it could be a combination of somebody simply retweeting or somebody making their own post or liking. But um, and by all accounts, it, it got into the millions. You know, there, there are other external websites where people were following it, and and it got into millions. Um, and, and there was an interesting phenomenon. I, I think we you know, Twitter basically suppress the hashtag after a while and and it kind of disappeared or if you tried to use it it would auto finish so if you tried to do trudeau must it it would say you know something else must um, resign or whatever but it it didn't it didn't automatically it became harder and harder to use that hashtag Martin Belanger is
2: uh, with us and uh, he's the the man behind the uh, the Trudeau must go. Well, the one that really took off and went viral. Hashtag Trudeau must go. Uh, we'll take a time out. And when we come back, I want to talk about um, the reaction from people like Gerald Butts and, uh, you know, some of the mainstream media claiming that this was just uh, you know, Russian bots or or something <laughs> that was behind this movement. And uh, also, we'll talk about uh, some of the other people, uh, notable people that um, uh, that participated in the hashtag Trudeau Must Go, including uh, the Prime Minister's very own half-brother, Kyle Kemper. Martin Belanger, better known as Marty Up North, or Marty Up North's fact-checking twin brother, stays with us right here on the Richard Sarat Show. More to come. Don't go away.
4: Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
2: All right, we're back with uh, Martin Belanger at MartyUpNorth uh, underscore two is the uh, the Twitter handle, at Marty Up North underscore two. And um, so this um, hashtag that uh, reached at one point a half a million, then Twitter uh, quashed it. The interesting thing was as you were pointing out, I mean, it was outside of your, of the echo bubble. It, it, then it became, it wasn't just people that were unvaccinated. It became, even people who were vaccinated were joining in and just saying, you know what? I, 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 um, it's like you were, they, you were channeling or everyone was channeling their anger. It was, it, it might have been about Trudeau singing karaoke on the eve of the Queen's funeral or, you know, going bungee jumping while Atlantic Canada is trying to get up off the ground after being devastated by Hurricane Fiona.
5: Uh, yeah no it, it, yeah you got me you're bringing back flashbacks because i you know i forgot about all of that but um yeah it channeled actually I channeled a lot of emotion and anger i suppose and and what was interesting is a lot of it i became a focal point suddenly i became you know the the eye of the storm and people not only were they uh reposting but you know, my emails out there. I mean, you, and, and DMs and things like that. I was hearing stories. I was getting stories from people, which um, was fascinating. So that that was one of the realizations for me was it. It gave people. It, it, it gave people a voice and it, it, and it made a lot of people who were kind of on a sort of an edge of despair realize that they weren't alone. And so that's, that's why people joined the movement, I think, more than anything else. is That's what resonated with people. It was just an opportunity to say you're not alone for whatever reason. It, you're feeling frustrated, but you're not alone. Uh, Gerald Butts, longtime <laughs> Trudeau uh, advisor. Uh, took to
2: Twitter and uh, and claimed that this was a paid for account and that these were mainly bots. You must
5: have got a chuckle out of that when you saw it. Well, it, I mean, it just shows how naive I am, you know, to the internet and to this whole social media thing. And and I've been at it for a long time, but uh, when I saw that from from Gerald, that you know, his first comment was along the lines of that. You know, this there's uh, there's something trending and it's obviously bot generated or whatever he said. So naively, I just reached out to gerald said hey gerald my name is you know marty up north and looks like i'm the guy who started this um this trend and he blew me off which 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 frustrated me a little bit and and so as an engineer i just uh went outside grabbed my phone and did a further little video of about two minutes and then posted that one to gerald saying look i'm not a robot i'm 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 this guy, and uh, so then he replied to that. I have no doubt Marty is not a robot, but the question still is who's funding him. So that that whole part was hilarious, and, and he wasn't the only one. You know, there was another uh, torontonian I think, uh, Dean Blundell, who I don't oh, follow. Yes. Yeah, Dean, Dean, Dean got on the same line and same thing. I I, I reached out to Dean, but not interested in the true story. So um, you know, I. It, but but for me. The, that whole aspect of it became irrelevant anyways i i couldn't care less if if uh if gerald butts thought that this was a a professional campaign in my heart i knew it wasn't and i was more interested in the stories of people so um right and the fact that again so dismissive just like being totally
2: tone deaf no idea what's really happening out there you know in the country
5: uh I I think they know what's I think they know what's happening. In fact, uh, you know, in hindsight, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. I think the Gerald's of the world who are connected to the government knew what was going on. I mean, I I called Gerald the cleanup man after what I've seen. and, And and he he was there's nothing he could do to discredit the movement. I mean, there's nothing Trudeau could do to discredit the movement. These are basically people saying you heard us. And so they couldn't go after that. The movement. Uh, so they tried to discredit it by saying it was bots and other things they tried to discredit me a little bit but i know uh they found nothing i mean i i I talked to somebody a, a professional who who basically told me martin they're digging into your background right now trying to find something about you to uh to discredit you in order to discredit the movement and and you know, I joke about it. My life's been on on YouTube for a decade. I mean, prior to Twitter, I'm known on YouTube as a guy who goes hiking, and you know, one of my more popular videos is me plowing my driveway. So I mean, <laughs> if, if they if they uncovered anything, <laughs> and so that's what the guy called me back. You know, is a former RCMP officer who, who connected and said, obviously they found nothing on your background because they would have said something. So the only thing they can do is let it go to sleep and, and hope that the movement disappears. And I'm back now after 10 days of being gone. And I see that it's still going and it's taken on different shapes right now. So it's, it's, it's not dead. Uh, any idea what the, uh, the, the latest numbers are on, on Twitter and in terms
2: of, Posts or retweets or likes?
5: No, that is so suppressed right now. It's uh, but but the funny thing is, people picked up on you know Trudeau must go now. Trudeau must go to jail. Trudeau must you know things like that. So there, there's been flips uh, on on the whole uh, trend. You know, welcome to the internet. I mean, it's it's it is what it is, but it, it's still trending in a sense. It is. We're going to take. I appreciate your time. We're going to take
2: one more time out. Come back and discuss a little bit more with Marty up north, Martin Belanger. Hashtag Trudeau Must Go. Stay with us.
4: The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
2: All right, a few minutes remain with Martin Belanger, a.k.a. Marty Up North, and he started the whole hashtag Trudeau Must Go. Well, kind of reinvented it, and and, um, it it just took off, I guess uh, sort of around mid-September. And um, uh, what was very interesting as well was trudeau's half brother kyle kemper his younger half brother uh also joined in
5: when you saw that what were your thoughts uh actually uh, you know what there were so many of them that came across so i saw kyle's at first quickly and then i didn't clue in and then somebody else pointed out it's like holy smokes that's kyle so then i went whoa and um so yeah I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because that was a big one. That was, that was a, you know, that was a big moment when Kyle did that and then a few other, you know, high profile individuals, but. um...
1: Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing?
5: I mean you know otherwise I'm not a political guy so you know the, the relationship between Kyle and his brother I'm not a hundred percent familiar with that but, but it, it, it it was interesting to see that somebody related to Trudeau would join in on, on, on the action
2: right let so. me just read uh, Kyle's uh, tweet I'm a 37 year old father of four and a half entrepreneur crypto OG and proud Canadian for two decades I've been calling BS on the corporatocracy and my brother has become a cap In their scheme, it's time hashtag Trudeau must go and for Canada to become a sovereign nation again. Wow. Uh, Again, that's his half brother. And he said, you know, he's adamant. He says, I love my brother, but he has over the last two and a half plus years, he has gone off the rails. But calling him a captive, um, a captive in their scheme, meaning the corporatocracy, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Um, Any thoughts on 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 starting another uh, viral meme? Mark. No, no, no. <laughs>
5: had enough. Yeah. I've, I've had people actually ask me, you know, uh, I, I did a follow-up tweet because people asked me if I would do a, fo- uh, you know, uh, a different hashtag or fundraising campaigns and things like that. And, and to, I'm honestly not the, I do not want to be the leader of a movement. I'm glad that, that what I did resonated with people and, and, and did, you know, mm-hmm followed up and did their own um mini bios but i, I mean my, my my takeaway from this right now is i i just hope that um i i just hope that people realize read some of those comments and realize that um there were a lot of people affected by policies of the last two years so the COVID policies Ha, ha, Where COVID was bad in and of itself, but the policies we implemented to fight COVID hurt a lot of Canadians, a lot of Canadians. And, and I hope that's one of the things that comes out of this. I just wanted I, I was just thinking about uh, Trudeau going bungee jumping
2: and yeah. it suddenly struck me, you know, if the president of the United States, I mean, Joe Biden, of course, would never he, him getting off. The stage is actually, you know, a pretty uh, adventurous. But I, I can never imagine a president, a healthy young president, being allowed to bungee jump. Like the Secret Service would be all over him, saying you're not doing it. No, uh, I mean, I don't even know. Maybe it's in the Constitution. Maybe he's not allowed to. Put, but Trudeau, the Prime Minister of our country, the RCMP, what they, the detail, the security detail, they just stand back and say, "Yeah, go fill your boots. You want to try and jump?" <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they didn't stop him to me is very telling. Hey, by- I think he's checked out. I think I think Prime Minister Trudeau is checked out at this point. I mean, he's 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 definitely not engaged. We, you know, the country has what are we at forty year high uh, inflation, uh, high unemployment, supply chain crisis, uh, you know, disaster in in uh, PEI. I mean, the list goes on and on. And yes, he's out bungee jumping and singing karaoke. It's it's a he Trudeau must go. I mean, I think in yeah, I. It wasn't what I was thinking at the time, but a week later now and after talking to everybody, it it, it is I picked the right hashtag. Trudeau must go. He has to step aside a, a, a any human with a decent set of morals would step aside and, and let somebody else run the country
2: at this point. Right. I, yeah, I call these these Marie Antoinette moments, you know, when the country is suffering and basically he's saying the equivalent of let them eat cake Uh, last uh, last item and then I'll I'll let you get uh, back to uh, your life and I appreciate your time but uh, just because you know you're in Alberta and uh, we have you know uh, the uh, the federal government trying to clamp down on legal gun owners and I ask you this because you know you're a hunter and uh, you know the a lot of the western provinces god bless them are saying you know we are not going to enlist the RCMP to enforce these uh, gun confiscation laws Uh, your thoughts
5: um, I'm, I'm pro-gun laws so I, I think we have adequate gun laws in this country I really do I mean I'm, I'm that example I, I own you know 23 rifles and uh, I, I'm willing to subject myself to a background check every day by, by agreeing to to take a you know to have a firearms license and and I'm not I'm not the problem and so I, I think we have adequate. Adic- the problems are in, in cities like Toronto and places like that. And, and that and the, but the real problems are complicated to address. So going after legal gun owners and trying to confiscate, uh, you know, firearms that have been known for for decades in some cases is is just uh, it's just fluff. It, it, it looks good for some electorates, but it accomplishes nothing in the end. It, it, as, as a personnel, me personally, I have three firearms that are now that I've owned for at least 20 years that are now banned. Hmm. So, um, I, I, yes, I'm against I think it's a it's a bad use of resources. And I and I'm and I'm glad the province I live in is is saying what they're saying. We're not going to we shouldn't be using our CMP officers to come and confiscate legally acquired property. We should be using our CMP officers to go and fight crime, real crime. That's exactly right. Martin, I
2: really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. Great meeting. Appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Anytime. Martin Belanger, a.k.a. Marty Up North. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter uh, at Marty Up North underscore two. All right. When we come back, China expert Gordon G. Chang will be here. He says China is preparing to go to war. Stay with us.
4: Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, well,
2: things continue to heat up geopolitically. Of course, we all know about Russia annexing those four eastern regions of Ukraine, comprising about 15 percent of uh, Ukraine, Ukraine's total landmass. Uh, those have been absorbed into the Russian Federation. As uh, Putin likes to say, the people in these uh, regions are now citizens of Russia forever, and any attack on those regions would be perceived as attack on uh, an attack on Mother Russia. He's even threatened a nuclear retaliation. Uh, but it's not only Russia that uh, is concerning. China, of course, has been uh, saber-rattling for some time, playing this uh, cat-and-mouse game with uh, Taiwan. Recently, uh, some Russian and Chinese naval ships were seen approaching Alaska. Now word has it that the uh, communist country is indeed preparing to go to war. But what will that war look like and who are they preparing to go to war with? Gordon G. Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War, Losing South Korea, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and uh, he's here to join us and uh, describe or to tell us what's what's happening with China. Gordon, welcome to the program. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you, and thank you so much.
2: Oh, well, my pleasure. We should also point out that we can uh, you follow Gordon on Twitter at Gordon G Chang at Gordon G Chang. So, I was reading a piece that you wrote for the website nineteen forty five dot com, and uh, you talked about some sort of inside the information that you received from some. Uh, Chinese entrepreneurs that led you to believe that really they are really ramping up militarily. Uh, just to sort of walk us through what you heard from this individual. Who, I believe he, he ran a um, a medical supply company.
0: Yes, he did. He's a Chinese entrepreneur, factory owner, making medical supply products for the civilian sector. And he told me in July that uh, Communist Party cadres visited him and ordered him to switch from the civilian products to products for the Chinese military. And it's not just him, because um, other entrepreneurs, other factory owners in China were receiving similar visits and similar directives from the Communist Party. And um, a number of uh, factory owners actually fled, and the Communist Party was operating their facilities, and and they fled because they did not want to stick around for Xi Jinping's war. The, the, we all know that the communist party is mobilizing its army it's it build up the, the biggest build up since the second world war but what is really ominous is that china is mobilizing its civilians for war and therefore we've got to be you've got to take this seriously because obviously xi jinping we don't know what's inside the side of his head um we don't know if he's serious or not but we can see what he's doing and we need to match that
2: You also mentioned that they made some important amendments to their national defense law, which also signals that they're preparing for war. Explain.
0: Yeah, Um, the national defense law was amended as of the first of last year. And what they're doing is taking power away from the state council, which is a civilian body, and handing it to the Central Military Commission of the Communist Party. The Central Military Commission actually monitors and oversees the army. Um, so really, this is um, a signal that – and by the way, these these amendments related to mobilization of civilians. So we see that they have um, made preparations, and they're thinking about this. And, and you know, one could say, well, that, that amendment to the national defense law, that was merely just sort of cosmetic because the Communist Party's Central Military, Military Commission does what it wants anyway. But what this is – is telling the Chinese people that they've got to get ready for battle.
2: Uh, Recently, we saw this uh, joint Russian-Chinese patrol uh, forming near Alaska, and there was some speculation about the expansion of Russian-Chinese influence in the Arctic region. Is that part of what you're talking about, or was that just a normal, uh, you know, example of joint military cooperation between the two countries?
0: I think that it's, Uh, ongoing military cooperation between Moscow and Beijing, which should concern us. Um, Got to remember that China and Russia participated in Russia's Vostok 2022 land exercises. Immediately after those were over last month, you had Chinese and Russian vessels sortie together in the Sea of Japan. And then, of course, we got this report that they actually approached Alaska, seven vessels so clearly, the Chinese and Russians are working very closely together in the military realm. Um, the Chinese and the Russians are now starting to share weapons, which means that they're working towards interoperability. And we've also, of course, seen the very close relationship between Moscow and Beijing, where the Chinese are actually supporting the Russian war effort So in, in Ukraine. Um, And this is a signal to us that there is a real close working relationship because both countries see their interests coincide and they identify the same adversary, which is us. So we have to assume that if one of them picks on us, the other one will support. Um, So we've basically got a China and Russia axis.
2: How closely um, is China observing The West's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, in other words, taking their cues from the way that we are responding to Russia.
0: We can see that, um, uh, for instance, China has put its uh, diplomats in the service of uh, the uh, Russians, how they put their propaganda outlets, both Communist Party and central government, are now amplifying Russian disinformation, how China's buying more commodities from Russia, in other words, financing the war effort. And so we can see from things that China is actually doing that they're working closely together. Now, Chinese propaganda um, does mention the Russian war effort. Um, But we don't really see, you know, Chinese officials saying um, in public, at least, oh, you know, uh, we've got to watch out what's going on, because that's a lesson for us. But I think that they actually are, because these two regimes have been working so closely together, especially with regard to the war effort.
2: We'll take a quick time out. Gordon G. Chang stays with us, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, back with more of our conversation. Is China preparing for war? He says yes. Stand by.
4: Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Back with
2: Gordon G. Chang, the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, Losing South Korea, and uh, the Coming Collapse of China. We're talking about Whether or not China is preparing for war. And uh, I guess, I I mean, are we talking primarily about uh, an invasion of Taiwan, uh, which some um, military officials are saying could come as early as 2024, presumably around Taiwan's January 2024 elections? Others are saying, you know, they'll be preparing to invade the island by 2027. Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about full on war with the West?
0: It could be anything, Richard. Um, First of all, of course, Taiwan is a target of the Communist Party. But we've got to remember that at this moment, China has troops below the line of actual control in Ladakh, high in the Himalayas. In other words, in Indian-controlled territory. And also, China has periodically been pressuring Second Thomas Shoal of the Philippines in the South China Sea, preventing resupply of a Philippine outpost there. And in the East China Sea, uh, China for years has been sending its vessels and its planes into Japanese sovereign water and airspace in an attempt to pry the Senkaku Islands away from Japan. So it could be anywhere along that periphery. And so, yes, Taiwan, we should always be concerned about, but it's not the only area where China has ambitions.
2: China hasn't fought a major war since Vietnam over forty years ago. Then, when uh, you know, in Vietnam they fought uh, a war against Vietnam in nineteen seventy nine. Um, I mean, are th- that's a long time. Uh, I mean, are their troops battle? They're not battle tested, but would they be battle ready? Do you think?
0: I doubt that's a great question, and I think the answer is no. Um, at least the army isn't, and we saw this um, when China had that a large-scale incursion into India starting in May of 2020. Chinese troops did not acquit themselves very well. Um, They launched a surprise attack in June of 2020, um, suffering twice as many casualties as India did. And then when India launched a counterattack in August, uh, the Chinese troops scattered. That's the Chinese army. Now, we don't know about the capabilities of the Air Force and the Navy, but they have been drilling... And they've been drilling quite intensively. So we have to assume that they are battle ready.
2: Uh, I, I um, spoke with a, um, a gentleman who um, is studying demographics, and he talks about China being in what he calls a demographic winter. The same with Russia, actually. Uh, and uh, that the China's population is soon going to start to fall somewhat dramatically because of, in part, because of the one, well, mainly because of the one-child policy. They've really sort of shot themselves in the foot. How much of China's des- uh, desire to expand and go to war uh, is maybe to offset this demographic winter that they're now facing?
0: I, I don't know if, if uh, I, I do see that uh, their demographic winter is part of the closing window of opportunity because China is facing not only a demographic crisis, um, which basically the steepest decline in demography in the absence of war or disease in history. Um, They're going to go from 1.41 billion people now to basically half that number in 45 years, according to two Chinese demographers. At the end of this century, they could be maybe 500 million. In other words, just a little bit more than the U.S. and Canada combined. Um, and so um, this is part of. Uh, I think it limits Chinese ambitions, and they realize they've got to move sooner rather than later. But it's not just demography. You have um, an economy which is in a very fragile state right now. And again, you have the COVID lockdowns. You have a an economy. You have a, a worsening food challenges and a deteriorating environment. So there are a lot of things that are going to limit China's ability to attain its ambitions, which means that they've got to move fairly quickly. How much of this is
2: uh, President Xi's um, thinking, and is he getting any resistance? Because, of course, there were rumors. We had something like 9,000 flights were were uh, grounded recently, and people were speculating that there may have been some kind of, I don't know, um, uh, palace coup happening or something? Is there a, an internal struggle about the direction of China's foreign policy?
0: Uh, yes. Um, I think many senior Chinese leaders are not happy with the Wolf Warrior diplomacy of Xi Jinping, um, but they're not really in a position at this time, at least, to moderate these uh, views. Um, you, you're talking about um, two weeks ago where there were rumors of a coup Yes. Um, there were, for instance, um, something like fifty percent of China's flights were canceled on. I think it was September twenty-first or something. Yes. Um, and by the way, China's airspace is controlled by the Chinese military, so it was the military that did that. We don't know what happened, Richard, but we know something occurred.
2: Hmm. Do you have any uh, any spec any uh, any ideas what might have occurred?
0: I would like to know, but I don't. But um, just that uh, there were too many things that occurred um, on that day or around that day to suggest that uh, life was normal in Beijing. So we know something um, was wrong, but uh, at this time uh, we still just don't, do not know. If China, you know,
2: starts to take uh, you know, uh, make territorial gains, they invade Taiwan, uh, other places. Do they even care? About sanctions anymore? Are they even affected uh, by sanctions? Because, for example, with Russia, they seem to have successfully de- decoupled from the West. You know, uh, trade now with uh, with India and um, uh, and China and, and other sort of non-aligned countries, if you will. D- do sanctions even matter anymore?
0: Sanctions on on China would matter if they were imposed and if they were enforced. Uh, We have, um, we Americans have this terrible habit of uh, sort of um, telling the Chinese what they should do or shouldn't do. And the Communist Party just views its interests very differently than we think they should uh, calculate their interests. And even when we get around to imposing measures like the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, um, enforcement is spotty. Now, if we were actually able to impose strict sanctions and enforce them, Well, then, yes, I think we could certainly tank China. But Xi Jinping probably believes, after looking at the West's reaction to the Ukraine invasion, that, um, you know, sanctions on China um, would hurt, but they would not cripple his ability to wage war, which is what he's really concerned about.
2: Gordon G. Chang is the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, Losing South Korea booklets released by Encounter Books. His previous books are Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and The Coming Collapse of China. You can follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, always a pleasure. Thank you for your insights, as always.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, that's it
2: for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 to do it all over again. God willing, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.